0: It's truly a joy to look out and see so many beloved uh, Disciples Church family and extended family who's here with us on this Christmas Eve morning. First hour was marvelous, and um, we also continue to look forward to our uh, just special candlelight service tonight at 5. It's truly a a special time of our year. Um, You know, Christmas is a birthday party, and uh, it is truly... Um, Good and right that we would, in all the busyness of all the things, stop to really focus on the one whom we celebrate. And I pray that you're blessed for our time together in song this morning, in prayer, and in God's good word. Uh, If you'll grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We continue our sermon series through Luke's Gospel. What a joy it's been so far. And a sweet part of just God's providence to bring us to this early portion of Probably the most extensive testimony of the birth of Christ uh, is in the earliest parts of Luke's gospel. And so we're just really at the timing is great. And even as the, we continue in the passage today where he's about six weeks old, it's still very much his remnant of, of his arrival and all that comes with this time for us. So I pray that you're blessed with it. Uh, If you're just joining us this morning, then the testimony we're going to read of Anna this morning uh, is the second of two witnesses to the newborn baby Jesus. About six weeks old, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem to fulfill the Old Covenant commandments upon them as faithful Jews uh, for purification for Mary, for dedication of Jesus Jesus. And in that first interaction with Simeon, uh, who was told that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. What, what a promise to know that the Messiah would come in his lifetime. And then finally for that day to come, to hold uh, the newborn babe, who is the Savior of the world, in his arms. What an amazing testimony we got to witness last week. And so today we turn to the second testimony, another appointed witness... Uh, to testify of the arrival of the Christ, and her name is Anna. And so look with me at our passage, and uh, we will dive deep into this celebration of the lowborn king's advent as we continue in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2, 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, And then as a widow until she was 84 she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at that very hour she began to give thanks to god to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of jerusalem pray with me church father i thank you for this time to gather uh, for the work that you're doing in and among our historic church in these days, you give us under the sun. Um, the work that you're doing among uh, these men and women, their marriages, their families, uh, their generations of, of legacy, the, the jobs you give us, the neighborhoods we dwell in, the opportunity we have to, to truly see and savor Christ, uh, to be transformed and sanctified uh, unto making much of him and his gospel until you take us home to glory. We thank you, Lord, for the witnesses that we get to bear their testimony according to your holy scripture. We thank you for the ministry they are to our own lives. I pray they would be a true blessing for those who've gathered here today. We worship you, we praise your holy name. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And there was a prophetess, Anna. Luke begins by calling Anna a prophetess. What is that? Well, it's a female prophet. A prophet, whether male or female, is one who speaks the words that God wants them to communicate to others. This is only by the power and the perfect work of the Holy Spirit. A true prophet, male or female, is called and gifted by God to be the mouthpiece for the one appointed to send him or her. In the most general sense, a prophet speaks on the behalf of the sender. It is important that we understand that all true prophecy in the wake of much false prophecy, all true prophecy that is of the Lord is initiated and held true by the Holy Spirit and not by man. It's not originated by man. It's from the Lord. 2 Peter 1.21 says this, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Church, the Scriptures identify the following women in this unique role as prophetess. Uh, Just a few named in the Old Testament. Miriam, the sister of Moses and Aaron, we see in Exodus 15. Deborah in Judges 4. Huldah in 2 Kings 22. And Isaiah's wife, named to that role in Isaiah 8. Anna who is the focus of our text today, is the only one named in all of the New Testament, although there is mention that Philip's daughters prophesied as well in the book of Acts. Church, the historic orthodox long-standing doctrine called cessationism is what we hold to here at Disciples Church, which is the biblical understanding that God's gift of prophecy— When related to speaking new revelation, a word from the Lord that is didactic and and of the authority of the Lord, when speaking new revelation or when speaking of prophetic future events is no longer a gift that God gives to man. As we study the whole of scripture, we see him give this gift in three very distinct seasons of life of creation for God's good purposes upon which he wanted to bring his word to bear. Uh, What we get to witness is a season by which that was happening uh, as the Lord was selecting individuals um, and the word of the Lord was confirmed to be true in these things. There's a very specific purpose of God for these. It's not ongoing and loose and open-ended. Again, it is the Lord's very perfect and specific word He wants to be given. Now that the Holy Scripture canon is closed and finished as the Word declares, there is no need for new revelation, for as God declares in His Word, it is sufficient for all of life and ministry. Anna's testimony today is... um, Of few words, really, we're really given more of a synopsis of what she says. But the declaration, the authoritative declaration that she brings, is what really makes her, again, a special witness to this historic moment that the Messiah has indeed come and is here in the baby, Jesus Christ. Praise God for those that he's ordained to use this specific gift for his holy purposes, God surely ordained that Anna had a clear testimony to share that he wanted to communicate And uh, we'll get to that message here in a little bit. But before we do, consider with me some additional markers of who Anna is, as Luke continues. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Asher church is one of the 10 tribes for, who formed the Northern Kingdom of Israel that were taken captive by Assyria in 722 BC. Luke does something very rare here, which is mentions Anna's tribal connection, right? Her family tribe. Uh, There's only a select few in the New Testament where this is done of them to list their tribal listings. Those few people include Jesus, Saul of Benjamin, Philippians 3, and Barnabas, who's a Levite, as stated in Acts 4. Very, very select list. In Deuteronomy, way, way back Old Testament, Moses prophesies about the tribe of Asher, this particular tribe that Anna belongs to, saying, your strength will equal your days. And surely, as we look to Anna's life, We see evidence of her strength. She's fulfilling a very high call of the Lord as a prophetess. And as we're about to see in her longevity, right? Strength will equal your days. Truly met here, even in Anna herself, that prophecy of Moses fulfilled. Look with me as we continue to understand who Anna is. In the second part of verse 36, in the first part of verse 37, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Sometimes in our English translations of the original text, we, there's a best effort to make the, the words of the original language translate. And I think here uh, we, can, we can end up with something that, that might not be as clear. Um, what we do know, based on what we're given here, um, is that Anna likely married in her teens, which was customary in that day and age, as we spoke uniquely about Mary uh, earlier in our time in Luke. Um, and then was widowed, her husband died just seven years later, as it's testified here. That would put that event in her early 20s. And as we read the Greek, there's a little bit of a debate of whether or not she's 84 at this time, as it tends to read in our particular translation here, or the way I fall off the fence is that she was a widow for 84 years, which then means that she, Anna, is likely in her early 100s. She's just over a hundred years old. Amazing. I mean, it's truly rare to know someone personally who's lived that long, right? A hundred years. My mother only lived to 60. My father only till 73. I mean, that's like another lifetime to live that long. And in our historic church uh, here in Bakersfield, that's 135 years old. Um, we are blessed to have not one, not two, but three sisters in Christ who are either just about to turn 100 or one of them who has already turned 100 years old. Um, it just blows my mind. I would think about that. To be 100 years old today means you were born in the early 20s. Um, and how much life that person has seen and lived in that duration. All of these sweet sisters are a real blessing. Louise Lewis, Barbara Garner, Mary Jane Garness. I got to uh, enjoy a meal with them just a few weeks ago. You know, in that very latter stage of life, they're all living in wonderful homes here in the city. And uh, a highlight of their week is to gather with others there in their home to tune in to our broadcast of our Disciples Church service. Um, One in particular... I want to mention this morning uh, a member of our church of almost now 60 years, Mary Jane Garness. Mary Jane is a true encouragement to us all, faithful to pray and give and to encourage us often. Uh, and. I made a specific request this morning that she come and worship with us in person, which she did first hour, and so I was able to grab a photo with her here. Um, Her son uh, helped bring her this morning to be part of our Christmas Eve morning service. Um, Mary celebrates her 102nd birthday in two weeks on January 9th, Um, and She's of great health, and just, I mean, every part of her smile is just, she is such a blessing um, to us, um, each of them. And I I got to thank her in person this morning uh, for her faithfulness to the Lord. Um, She was widowed in 1995, so approaching 30 years she's been without her husband, her only husband of 52 years. and. Just such a unique time. I live a hundred plus years of life. Uh, she's an inspiration and an encouragement. Um, and I just am so thankful. What makes Anna's testimony unique is she, too, is of this great age and also um, a longtime widow. Um, and in that, her faithfulness is just a true blessing. And so I'd like to. Come into another layer of Anna's testimony in talking about what it is to be a widow, right? A widow is someone whose spouse has passed away. Therefore, the holy covenant of their marriage has been finished by the Lord, uh, by his decree uh, to finish the terms that he has set. A vow until death do you part is the vow of marriage. Uh, and that ending of marriage is, is up to the Lord to finish that one flesh union. Um, the unique work of God to make two become one in marriage is truly one of God's most amazing works in the economy of his creation. One that I love to teach on often. If you're new or visiting with Disciples Church, I look forward to time with you to help you expand your understanding, insight, and growth into this amazing ministry of marriage. Um, And uh, it can be some of the best parts of life and truly some of the absolute hardest parts of life. Um, So we long to steward it well and understand it well according to the Lord. The unique work of God in this, to have the bond of a husband and a wife come to share life together, is like few other in creation. Um, What this means is that for someone who has loved and lost their spouse is a tremendous adjustment in life. Um, love you, sis. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks, Brian. It means daily duties, once fulfilled in the spouse, are now left to be learned and carried out by the widow or the widower. It means grieving the absence of the loved one from your daily life is a true and lasting process. Uh, one that we've journeyed with most recently with Lisa and Encourage you, churches, to be praying over her and loving her this morning, even as we work through these things. The need is for new routines and relationships um, to be formed. A beautiful opportunity for the church and for extended family to draw near. Um, The widower or widow must rise up to live a new day to honor the Lord's will for their life to extend their witness in time without their spouse. And with this can come a very unique testimony, one by which the widow or widower who belongs to Christ gets to show a watching world that they are complete, not in their husband, not in their circumstances or their wife, but in the Lord, complete and thoroughly complete in Christ. For most people who are married... They will only experience the reality of a widow or widower for a very short time at the very end of their life. And only if you're the one to not pass away first. Some, on the other hand, uh, remain healthy and vibrant and can live many, many more years after their spouse has passed. There are a number of widows and widowers uh, who are among us in our congregation, many of which were with us first hour as well. And it truly, they truly are, each of you, a special part of our family. Um, they carry a unique ministry of how we are to depend on Christ. And that is a great encouragement to us all to labor through that. Um, see with me this morning, church, Anna falls into this very unusual category of having been a widow, not for a short time at the end of her life, but to be widowed at such a young age in her early 20s. To be a widow for over eight decades is such a long, long life to be lived, maybe longer than the life that we will live in our entirety as a widow. Um, She chose not to remarry as God's law permits that uh, a widow can do because the union of their former marriage has concluded with death. She chose not to exercise that opportunity to remarry but to remain as a widow. To the widows and widowers among us, Uh, We love you. You truly are a special part of our family. You're an important part of our church and the witness of the gospel in these days. Um, You point to Christ in a really special way, um, that Christ is enough. And I'm thankful for the ways that the gospel is at work in you, even for our good as well, our edification. Um, It's a good moment for us as the church also to remember this morning and embrace God's good call on our ministry to the widows and the widowers, Brian, thank you for standing in the Gap brother. Love you. Um, the Old Testament law was clear: "You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child," Exodus 22:22. 22, 22. It also called for the people to go out of their way to provide for the widow and the orphan, Deuteronomy 14:29. Isaiah said that God would not receive the worship of people if they did not bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause, Isaiah 1.17. And in these actions, we, the people of God, imitate our Father in heaven. Psalm 68.5 describes Him. As a father of the fatherless and a protector of widows is God in His holy habitation. Finally, the passage we probably think of most on this topic is the words of James in James 1 Religion is that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Church, may our family be a true blessing, encouragement, and help and support to those that God has ordained to widowhood for this time of their life. May the Lord use each of us um, to minister to our widows and widowers. Um, as we labor and, and go forth, surely we see how the Lord ministered through Anna and her testimony, and we see it much in the details that were given next about her faithfulness to the things of God. Consider it with me in the second part of verse thirty-seven. Church it says she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer nights and day. Luke says she didn't depart from the temple. This doesn't necessarily mean that she actually lived in the temple grounds. Uh, that's not really the design of the temple. Um, but at least it means she spent a lot of time there. Most of her days, if not much of her day. Her fervor for God's temple is much of reminiscent like to David, who said, spoke of God's courts this way in Psalm 84, 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord! Of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The late, great J.C. Uh, Ryle said this of Anna, and I quote Anna was a woman of great self denial. She served God with fasting night and day. She was continually crucifying the flesh and keeping it in subjection by voluntary abstemiousness, being fully persuaded in her own mind that the practice was helpful to her soul. She spared no pains to keep it up. Anna was a woman of much prayer. She served God with prayer night and day. She was continually communing with Him as her best friend about the things that concerned her own peace. She was never weary of pleasing with him on behalf of others, and above all, of the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah. Anna's daily discipline, church, is really a reflection of her piety, her commitment to the obedience of the Lord, the things of the Lord. She genuinely is convicted and motivated to walk with the Lord and practice the spiritual disciplines that God's given us. What are those spiritual disciplines? Well, there are many. Scripture gives us many. Some are named here in fasting and prayer. Uh, We actually had the blessing as a church to spend uh, a good duration of our midweek gathering season, in the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022, to teach many of the spiritual disciplines. Um, I... Uh, in collaboration with one of our faithful IT brothers, Blaine, we've, we've gathered all that together uh, into one link that I'm happy to send to you. If you'd like to spend some time in the new year just studying the spiritual disciplines, or maybe for some of you who went through that, to review them again, um, just email me. My email's all over the website, the bulletin, my card's in the lobby. Not hard to find me there. Send me an email. I'd love just to fire that off to you real quick and you'll have it available for you to be able to spend some time with the Word and studying the spiritual disciplines. I pray that that's a blessing for you who are interested to dive back into that topic. Consider the uniqueness of a steadfastness of Anna to do these disciplines of prayer and fasting, meditating on God's Word night and day. There's a couple passages as I was studying and reflecting that have meant a lot to me that point to the good prescription for us to do this night and day. And I wanted to share those with you briefly. First is found in Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Also, the very historic and famous Psalm 1, 1 through 3, says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is on the law of the Lord, who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Church, Anna is devoted in her days to God. She loves God. She talks with God in prayer, meditates on His Word, and pleads for others in fasting. Um, We need to see Anna as a, a bountiful model of a life dedicated to godliness, despite her circumstances, right? I mean, I think often we can have turns in our road that cause us to become very self-loathing, uh, very disgruntled, very maybe embittered at how things are turning out. This is so much different than I wanted it to be. And I think in Anna, we get to have an amazing example, right? Surely, her journey has been incredibly hard. How, it's a very rare testimony to hear of such a young married person, widowed so young, just seven years into her marriage, at the young age of early 20s, who then did not remarry. That she's been faithful to the Lord in all these things. She had so many opportunities to become bitter, to, to, to turn to finding her hope in other things, and yet she doesn't. She, she stays grounded in the Lord, committed to these good things, and Ladies, this is one of, of many examples that God gives us in Holy Scripture that you can look to. Um, her joy is not in her beauty. It's not in her stuff. It's not in her relationships, her family. It's not in her accomplishments. It's in her God. Specifically, Anna serves as a model for you who are single, whether never married. Uh, Recovering from a marriage lost or widowed after a husband is lost. Many theologians believe that Anna is the model for the righteous widows that Paul describes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, 5 and 6. See if you agree. He says this, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. And continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self indulgent is dead even while she lives. Church, do you see the difference? It's an important one between the life centered on Christ and a life that is centered on self. The difference is absolutely significant. Just as we've been reminded this entire Advent season, Uh, as we've lit each candle each week, today being the fourth week, uh, that Christ is the arrival of lasting love and joy and peace, and then today of hope. My prayer is that you see that our hope is in Christ alone. Um, And this is Paul's words to Timothy regarding a testimony of Anna Lord, like Anna, she who is a true widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Consider this with me for a moment by way of reflection for each of us. Um, What makes a woman who's been without a companion for more than eight decades wake up every morning and live her life to the fullest, dedicating herself to spiritual disciplines and closeness with her God, day and night. And the answer is, the only answer is that her hope truly is in the Lord and not in anything else. Her hope and joy are fixed in him because if they were fixed, if her hope was in something else, then she would wake up and pursue those other things. Think that it's in those other things is where she's going to find her true grounding in both Simeon first and now Anna, what we see is two people full of faith in God and faith in his promises through many seasons of just patience, right? It's, it, they were waiting for the Lord, the consolation of Israel, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Both of them waiting, 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 not, not given a change necessarily in their circumstances, but faithful, why? How'd they remain so faithful? Because their hope was not in their circumstances, their situations. It was in the Lord. And in this, we have a great testimony this morning. right? For you who are hearing that word, hope, this morning, or just need to be reminded again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a word we say a lot, we see it a lot at Christmas, but what, what does hope really mean? And so let's take a moment to circle back to a definition. One that I found is helpful, has two sides. Hope is a feeling of expectation or desire for a certain thing to happen. I'm hoping for this or that. But hope has another side. And that is a person or thing that may help or save someone. So we can put our hope in something or someone hope for something to happen hope in someone or something and I just ask you to consider for yourself what have you found yourself hoping for lately it is Christmas time so there's a good chance as tomorrow morning approaches that what comes to your mind is what might be under the tree the thing you've hoped for in this Christmas season or maybe it's, it's in the gatherings that are about to happen The time spent with family You have high hopes for that time Okay But maybe Maybe the Lord is frustrating you He's being gracious to do this To Frustrate you In that your hope is not centered on Christ Lately Instead your longings and desires as of late Have been looking for their satisfaction to be met In circumstances or in other people And they're not meeting those, they're not fulfilling that hope. And so I say it's gracious of the Lord sometimes to frustrate us in this because it's in that frustration sometimes that He can can correct the bone. He can help us to see the error of how I'm trying to hope in these things that are really not going to fulfill me and then allow us to reorient and to put our hope back on Christ alone. In this, He's blessing us to be able to put our hope and the only one who's really gonna ever fulfill that, Jesus Christ. Again, I ask you, what have you found yourself hoping for lately? Um, Have you ever noticed that some of the things you hope for, when you get that thing, you discover that it only makes you happy for a season, for a time? Why is that? Uh, Because things break, they fade, relationships change. A way to test this that I I love to do at Christmas time is for you who are adults, Um, tell me or try to remember uh, what was the top thing on your Christmas wish list in 1997? I mean, it was probably a big deal to you that year and excited to finally get it. And now, years later, you have no memory of even what that thing was. Why? Because it's not fulfilling you like you hoped it would. Kids, 1997, you're like, yeah, that's that's like olden days, right? (laughs) For you kids, what was on your Christmas list just five years ago, and you too probably couldn't tell me what was on that list five years ago. Why? Because it's already, oh, that's baby stuff. That, that's old stuff. I want big kid stuff now, right? I, I have hopes for something new. It's not because those things were necessarily bad or not enjoyable even for a time, but it's because when we put our hope in fleeting things, we are set to be disappointed and not fulfilled. Right? This is why what we hope for or who we put our hope in is so important. This is why the hope that Jesus brings in his arrival, in his redemption to make us his is better than anything else. God's word says this so great and clear in Psalm 146 verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord his God. I ask you again, what or who are you putting your hope in lately? For many here today, maybe there is a deep longing for your heart to be comforted. And you're seeing that the world is not able to satisfy that. It's my deep prayer that God in this is preparing many of you to recognize and receive his greatest gift, the life of Christ, given at Christmas. The arrival of lasting hope. He is the consolation of Israel. He is the redemption of Jerusalem, the Savior of the world, and the only one by whom our hope is satisfied. Our hope is lasting and not fleeting. See with me the patient testimony of hoping in God that we see in both Simeon and Anna. For both of them, even though they were in long seasons of their life waiting, they were patient. They remained hopeful, faithful, and ultimately fulfilled in the Lord's promises. Paul's encouragement is really helpful here, church. He says in Romans 5.5, and hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope in The only one that can keep the flame burning, Jesus Christ, our lasting hope. Scripture tells us not to compromise and put our hope on created things, but instead to put our hope in the one who is the Lord of creation, the only one who keeps his promises and will never leave us or forsake us. Many of us who have been in church for a while can be guilty of thinking, of course my hope is in God. But I ask you this morning, how much of that potentially is just an ideal An ideal, a pithy Christian saying. Christian, we must test that. Is the Lord really your true hope for your daily life? Some of us, if we're really honest, can be guilty of losing hope altogether, right? When you wake up in the morning, it is hope that causes you to get out of bed. If not, why even get out of bed? What am I living for? What am I pursuing? If there's no hope, what am I doing? Why put up with the hardships of this life? God wants us to know and experience hope in Him. Hope that's living and not fleeting or dead. If this is you, I pray that you would hear Paul's words in the following passage. And I pray that for some of you to this morning, this truth of God would be like finding your way to solid ground after being lost at sea for many months. It's a wonderful reorientation for where your hope is. Listen to Paul's words to Titus in Titus 3 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by righteousness in us, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, in whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Church, Simeon and Anna hoped in the promises and power of God to deliver the Redeemer in the arrival of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And now we hope in the promises and power of God that Jesus who came, did what He perfectly set out to do and finished His job, now reigns on high. We have a hope that He's coming again. For those of us who hope in Jesus, this side of the cross and the resurrection, we have a hope that is grounded, church, in the resurrected Savior. And Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 1.3 that our brother Israel read earlier are a great foundation for this, and I'll read them again to you. Just this verse, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is living because Jesus, our Lord, is living. Amen? Resurrected, victorious. The grave did not consume him like all the other prophets of man-made religions. No, he's alive. He is living. In other words, the hope we have in Jesus alone, it's not fleeting, it's not dead and gone. No, Christ came. He lived without sin. He died for all of our sins, rose to conquer the grave, as one day we will too. The forerunner of resurrection. Our hope in Jesus carries us because God keeps his promises and finishes his perfect will perfectly. The famous hymn of old says it well. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's such a great lyric of old. Why do we love it so much? Because it really is our battle cry. It really is our Christian motivation to get up in the morning and live another day, even in this war-torn world, even in a world where they hate us because they hate Jesus, even where often we're experiencing great suffering and sorrow, we wake up. It's our wake-up alarm clock to hope in Jesus, to live for Jesus, to make much of Jesus. Jesus who reigns on high. Jesus who has promised that he's not going to lose any of his redeemed. That we are his and we cannot be lost. This is truly solid ground, especially when we have nothing circumstantially to stand on other than our hope in God. God. Again, Romans 5 5. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. Church, notice this. It doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint you because the kids don't get sick. It doesn't say hope doesn't disappoint you because you got what you wanted for Christmas. No, it says hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he's given us. I'm thankful for the steadfastness and faithfulness of Anna, who endured in great patience decades and decades, remaining hopeful in the Lord all those years. What an amazing moment it must have been, think with me, to finally look on the face of our Savior. And that's where we encounter her engagement in verse 38. Look with me, Luke two thirty-eight, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Coming up at that very hour is important, contextual reference to what we just read. Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in the temple courts, there for purification and dedication, Interacting with Simeon. That's the portion we just studied prior to this. Coming up at that hour when they're there with him, Anna approaches and sees the Savior. And what does she do? She bursts out in gratitude to God. We're not given any kind of dialogue that she might have had with them. We don't know. So we don't conjecture to know. We just know that she sees the Messiah. And she is thankful and full of testimony. It says in the latter part of the verse, to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let me speak to this before uh, I speak to her response of praise. The redemption of Jerusalem, right? There's a group of people waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That phrase, redemption of Jerusalem, is, it coincides with and it's synonymous with the consolation of Israel that we read of last week that Simeon was waiting for, that was prophesied of old, right? What we saw last week in Luke 2:25, there was a man in Jerusalem' whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. right? There it is. That consolation, that word means comfort, the comfort of Israel, she is testifying for those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's the same phrase. And and the comfort and the redemption that is promised of old is not of anything temporary. It is found only in the Redeemer, in the promised Messiah, who is Christ, who is born, who is there. He's arrived. The one we've been waiting for is here. And she is elated to share with those who are also faithful, who have been waiting as well. He's here. He's arrived. That's her testimony. Good news. Good news it is. Truly, indeed. The fact that there was others waiting for God's redemption is a sweet sign of the fact that God's elect were all around. This means that not all were carried away by the worries of the world or the agenda of man, but there were many who remained full of hope for the promises of God for redemption. See, see, Ryle speaks of these in a way that surely is an encouragement to us. He says, let us learn from these, those who are waiting as well, if they, with so few helps and so many discouragements, live such life of faith, how much more ought we with the finished Bible and full gospel. Let us strive like them to walk by faith and look forward. The second advent of Christ is yet to come. The complete redemption of this earth from sin and Satan and the curse is yet to take place. Let us declare plainly by our lives and our conduct that we look and long for the second coming. May we be sure that the highest style of Christianity, even now, is to wait for redemption to love the lord's appearing come lord jesus come amen romans 8:23 and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies paul says to timothy in 2 timothy 4:8 Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. May we wait on the Lord, church, full of hope, full of faith, how glorious his appearing will be indeed. Finally, notice with me, that Anna, just like the others that we've seen so far in Luke's gospel, all respond in grateful praise. Elizabeth did, Zachariah did, Mary did, the shepherds did, the angels did, Simeon did, and now Anna. The news of the arrival of Christ, of Christmas, of redemption, causes them to respond with grateful praise to God. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The child Jesus is the means, is the fulfillment of the promise that everyone had looked forward to, their hope for all those years. The Messiah is coming. The hope for the redemption of Jerusalem now is found. In the baby born in Bethlehem, right there in the temple courts of Jerusalem. His name is Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Consider the prophecy of old, Isaiah 52 9. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has consoled his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. The coming of the Christ, the prophecies fulfilled. The Lord has consoled his people. That's what Simeon was looking for. The Lord has redeemed Jerusalem. That's what Anna was looking for. Jesus was there. And what did they do? They praised the Lord. They broke forth into singing, being grateful, sharing their joy. Every one of them couldn't help but well up with true worship and gratefulness to God. This is our response, church, to the good news of Jesus' arrival as well. Paul speaks of the Christian's response to Christ in our life well in Colossians chapter 3, 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. The word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Anna is truly thankful, worshipful, joyful to witness the Christ and consider all that his arrival means for the redemption of God's people. Church, may this be our authentic response Christ's arrival this Christmas as we remember his great blessing. Stand with me as I pray and we together move to song and celebration of this good news. Father, we thank you for this time together in your holy word. We thank you for this remarkable testimony of Anna, your call on her life, um, the patience of her days of so many decades to just be clinging to you, walking with you, talking with you, just devout and committed to the things of God, recognizing her life belongs to you, to be used for your purposes. And here it is, that prophetic word that she shared, upon seeing the Christ, to those also who are waiting, you gave her the clarity, the Christ is here, the Messiah has come. And what a joy it is to see yet another witness lay claim to the fulfillment of your promise, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters and our guests this morning that we're reminded that our hope is best in you. If it's placed in anything else or anyone else, it's going to let us down. But in you, Lord, our hope is living. I pray that it's a wonderful reorientation for our lives, for the focus of our days, the discipline of the gospel, of, of the, the, discipline, the spiritual disciplines, and the testimony of the gospel to those that you put in our path. Lord, we, we join our voices now in celebration on this Christmas Eve morning to worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.